0: Just as you have sung, you exalt me. You should keep in mind that I have exalted you. I have exalted you above the power of sin. I have exalted you above the power of this world. I have exalted you above the power of the flesh and the emotions. I have lifted you up And I have seated you next to me in my Son, Jesus Christ. For I see you as one with Him. And I see Him as one with me. Therefore, I see you as one with me. Do not see yourself as less than who you are. Because that leads to confusion, discord, and it leads to error. Grab hold of who I call you, what I have made you. Grab hold of my declaration of you and live according to what I have called you, to who I have made you. This is where victory lives. For I have given you this place of authority. I have exalted you above what you were into my position as child. My child. Stay focused on me. For in the days to come, you will need to walk and live every day in the realization and understanding of who you are in me. That knowledge, that comprehension will lead you through everything that is coming. And know this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will keep that promise to you. Continue to seek me. Continue to praise me. Continue to spend time in my presence. And the greatness of my glory in you shall be known, says the Lord. Please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Seriously, Genesis chapter, oh, yeah, you're going to be here for a while. We're working our way through to Revelation. Not, yeah, super, not really. And you know, today is, um, it's Easter. Some people, uh, Christians, they don't like that word. They, you know, they think it's a terrible word to use, even though it is in the Bible. And they prefer the term, um, you know, Resurrection Sunday. Well, that's okay. Uh, whatever term you prefer, today is the day that we are recognizing the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And you know, uh, some people, they think that it's a terrible thing to have Easter egg hunts, um, chocolate bunnies, uh, you know, and if that's you, that's, you know, you, you know, you believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, I personally enjoy the chocolate bunnies. <laughs> in fact, there was one in my office this morning. I don't know who put it there. <laughs> but thank you. And it wasn't just any old chocolate bunny. It was an Esther Price chocolate bunny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh oh, I'm going to have a good day today. Hallelujah. But, you know, uh the focus of this... Is the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. And quite frankly, I think sometimes some Christians focus too much on terminology they don't like and practices they don't like. You understand what I mean? I get it, the whole thing of the Easter egg hunt and you know, we don't do that here and all, uh, and I understand the opposition to these things. But sometimes it seems like people focus so much on opposing those things and not enough on what this celebration is all about. So, here in Genesis chapter 1, this really is uh, the foundation for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. We see here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the, the creation story. Where everything that exists, this is where it started. And in verse 26, and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female, created he them. And in chapter 2, verse 7, we get a little bit more clarity about how God brought man into existence. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul or a soul that has life, not just a soul brought into existence. Because what this reveals is that man can be a soul or man can Man has a soul, but can exist with that soul without life. He became a living soul. See that? Now, what we see here is that God created man, humanity, to be a non-deified replication of himself. That term really throws some people... Some Christians, I don't know, it's almost like maybe they think that's blasphemy. But that's what it says right here. God said, and let me kind of paraphrase this. God says, I'm going to take myself as the pattern. And then I'm going to create an entirely new species according to my pattern. It's just that this new species won't be deity. And then the last thing God did as far as that creation of this new species in verse seven of chapter two, it says that he breathed life into that that new species. Now, when it says that God breathed life into this species, don't get the image of you know uh, you know a lifeguard saving a drowning person and performing CPR. Because our our eternal existence, God's okay. How does God exist? Think of this. How does God exist? Does He exist based on inhale and exhale? Inhale and exhale. Well, no, He doesn't. Because if that were true, how did He exist before He created oxygen? Follow me? No, this isn't talking about God breathed oxygen into Adam. He's talking about life, spiritual life. That's what God released into him. So then the question would be, where did God get that spiritual life? Well, it says he breathed into Adam, the spiritual life. That means the life that God breathed into Adam came from himself. It was his life. He didn't breathe deity into him. He breathed into him spiritual life. The body was already there. The soul was already there. Now God added the life, the spiritual life. And man became a triune being. Body, soul, and now spiritual life. Well, in chapter 2, in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest uh, thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, now, what this reveals to us is that man is not now, nor will he ever be God. Now here's why. In the New Testament, it reveals to us, and you can read about this in the book of James, that God cannot sin. He cannot be tempted to sin. But what we see here is the potential of temptation to commit sin. Now deity cannot be tempted to commit sin. But God is saying, look, you can eat of everything, but don't eat of this. Well, if it weren't a temptation, why give the warning? Because God said the day you do, you're going to die. The day you do this. You will die. So then, we know what happened. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, the devil, shows up. Starts talking to the woman. Becomes a false prophet unto the woman. Twisting the word of God. The woman hears what the false prophet has to say. And she makes a decision to eat. Well, Adam was there with her. He ate as well. And the moment they did, what God said would happen, happened. They died. Only, look over in Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, look at verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So this tells us that the day Adam ate, he didn't die Physically, in that 24-hour period. But he died according to what God had released into him. And God breathed life into Adam. So he died spiritually. That set off a chain reaction. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, God said, Adam, what have you done? And he said, you don't get it. And now, <laughs> you may not... Realize how dead you are on the inside, but uh, they did realize something had happened. Their eyes, their eyes were open, and and so on. And we're not going to go back and read all that. But God said the ground itself is cursed because of you. And if you turn over to Romans chapter five, this is borne out even more clearly and more emphatically. Because in Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When this says that by one man sin entered into the world, this is talking about Adam and because of what he did. And because his rebellion to God... He chose to do what God told him not to. He was tempted and he gave it. didn't have to. He could have said no. How do we know he could have said no? Because God said you have a choice. Here's this tree. You can eat of everything but the fruit of this tree. In the day you eat thereof, you'll die. So there we see choice. Well, obviously he made the wrong choice. And now, because of what he did, sin entered into the world. And that word world... It's not talking simply planet Earth. It's talking about the entire universe. We'll go into more detail here in just a moment about that. Um, It's the word cosmos. But it says, and death by sin. So Adam was the door through which sin passed into creation. And sin was the door through which death. That word death, it doesn't simply mean physical death. It's talking about absolute corruption. So this absolute corruption... We see it borne out first, uh, really in the life of Adam because he lived, you know, over 900 years and then physically he died. So the physical corruption was set off in his body because of the spiritual death. Then we see here that it's impacted literally everything. But it also says, and so death passed upon all men or literal, literally all humans. Why? Well, look here. As by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, by one man, Adam, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, this isn't saying that because you sinned, death passed upon you. No, what it's saying is because of what Adam did, He passed that sin or that spiritual death to every succeeding generation. So then, if you have the um, unfortunate situation to have been born into this world as a descendant of Adam, guess what? You were born into this world with that death in you. Now, the only person that was exempted from that was, guess who? Jesus. Jesus. He was not a descendant of Adam. He was a descendant of God. The Son of God. We know that. Well, here we have the situation. That death, that sin nature and that death on the inside of humans, that is what has produced the sin actions. It's because you were born into this world with that sin and that spiritual death, this is why you've committed sin. Because you were brought into existence in a state of existence that God never intended. Because in Genesis chapter 1 it tells us, God said, I'm going to make humanity in my image. Now another place in the Old Testament it tells us that when God speaks forth His Word, when His Word, you know, goes forth from His mouth, it will not return void. It will accomplish what He has set it forth to accomplish. What that means is, Even though Adam messed up in Genesis 3, what God said in Genesis 1, man is to exist like me. Something had to happen to, to, I'll say it like this, reverse what Adam did and get man back to that Genesis chapter 1 state of existence. Now turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now we pick this up in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, based only on what we see right here, what Jesus said... It's kind of an odd response. Because here Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. The question Jesus answered was the one that was implied in the statement. In other words, the question would have been this. How in the world can you have God with you? And I, a Pharisee, Do not have God with me the way you have God with you. How is this possible? You're not even a Levite. You're, you're not, you're from the tribe of Judah. You know, how is this possible? And so Jesus answers him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I I do not believe in any way Nicodemus is trying to be sarcastic. He's trying to figure this out. Well, Jesus, he responds and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now I'm going to point some things out in this that some of you maybe have never heard your entire life. So you really need to, to listen closely here. You'll notice, as Jesus is speaking this in verses 3, 5, 6, and 7, the word born is used. Now, in verses 1 through 7 and verse 16, Jesus is speaking of the person. You see that? And He's focusing on born born. Again, verse 16, he rephrases it as everlasting life. See that? But in verse 17, he uses the phrase saved. See that? He doesn't say born again. He says saved. Right now, once again, in verses 3, 5, 6, and 7, the word born is used. Now, that word born, it comes all... all Uh, In all of those verses, all four of those verses, the word born comes from the Greek word geneo. And it means to be the offspring of or to be birthed. To be the offspring of or to be birthed. But if you look in verse 3 and in verse 7, you see the word again, born again. And here's where it gets really interesting. Because in, um, in the uh in the New Testament there are several Greek words that are interpreted as begin or as again. Now this word this word again, it doesn't simply mean a second time. It comes from the Greek word. Anothen. A-N-O-T-H-E-N. It comes from the Greek word anothen. And this word anothen, again, it doesn't simply mean a second time, but it's a compound word. And the word anothen, it comes from um, ano, which means above, and the word then, which means from. So, what it means from above. So what Jesus was saying is, Born a second time, only the second birth is from above. See that? The second birth is from above. And if you look in verse 5, Jesus, He clarifies this because He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's making reference to what happened back there in Genesis chapter 1. How that Adam, if you will, was birthed into existence by virtue of God breathing into him his own spiritual life. And then when he says in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, the water he's talking about is the natural birth. Some people have said this is Speaking of water baptism, that is not what he's talking about here. And that's clarified in verse seven or verse six, where he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. What happens when a baby is born? First thing, you know, the birth, the water breaks. Right. So he's saying this is talking about a natural birth. Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the whole aspect of being born by the Spirit is directly connected to the kingdom of God. Well, if that's directly connected to the kingdom of God and you have to be born of the Spirit, that means somehow God is connected to this spiritual birth. Well, in, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but you go to the next chapter, Jesus explains that God is a Spirit. See that? God is a Spirit. So therefore, when He says... Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born the second time from above. A spiritual birth that comes from God because God is a spirit. So what he was telling Nicodemus is this. No matter how much you think you're doing right before God, the bottom line is you're not in the kingdom of God. And not only that, you have not been born of God spiritually. This is what he was explaining. Then you jump over to verse 16. And in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So then, if I believe in His Son, then I will have everlasting life. And Jesus said, you must be born again. So then, if I believe in the Son, that must mean that I am born a second time from above because the Son must be the one that God sent to the world He loves. And if I'm born again by virtue of believing in Him, the Son, then that means I have everlasting life. So then, being born again... Results in me having everlasting life. Which is exactly what God said back there in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to create man to be like me. Does God have everlasting life? Absolutely. Nobody was ever supposed to die. Our minds cannot grasp that. Because we live in a world of born, live, die. And the length of live is it's different for everyone. There's no set amount of time. Some people get born, and they only live a few minutes, and then they die. Others get born, and they live over a hundred years, then they die. That's all we know in this world. But, this has nothing to do with eternal existence in this world. It has everything to do with eternal existence in the kingdom of God. And so he says, if you believe in the Son, you'll have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, not only that, but God sent his son into the world, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See this word saved, well first off this word world, it's the word cosmos, Now let me give you an expanded definition of this word cosmos. Regular order, structure and arrangement, the universe, heavens and earth, order of the universe. Okay, that's that's cosmos. In other words, it means the sum total of the created universe and its order. And this word saved, it's the word sozo. Sozo does not Mean born again. The word sozo means save, deliver, make whole. Preserve from danger, loss, and destruction. In other words, born again is a, a spiritual event that takes place in my life. This universe cannot be born again. But the universe can be sozoed. You see this? I have life. The universe doesn't have life. This this ground, it doesn't have life. The moon doesn't have life. The sun doesn't have life. The asteroids don't have life. Do you follow what I'm saying? Trees don't have life. Now you say, oh yeah, they do. You plant, they grow. Yeah, but they don't have my life. They don't have spiritual life. They don't even have a soul. <laughs> but they have Their own type of life called plant life. But this sozo that he's talking about here in verse 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, that the universe, that the sum total of the created universe and its order could be saved or restored. Restored back to God's original plan in Genesis chapter 1. Let me read to you an amplified, my, my amplified version of John chapter 3 verse 17 for god sent not his son into the created universe to condemn it for it was through the rebellion and sin of adam that the universe and all within it animate or inanimate had already been condemned instead god sent his son into the created universe so that through him the entire universe and everything within it both living and inanimate could be totally and completely delivered from every kind of corruption, destruction and disorder being reborn cre- recreated and restored into the perfect structure, arrangement, order and plan God first revealed in Genesis chapter 1. That's what's being said here in John chapter 3 verse 17. And what we've done in the past, we've always focused on the just the aspect of the born again part. Okay, that's all well and good. But what about where you live. You say, well, what do you mean? Where? What are you living in right now? This body, right? This is a part of the created universe. Spiritually, you can be born again. But if something isn't done to fix this body, guess what? The body eventually is going to decay and fall apart. So not only do we need a spiritual work on the inside, but we also need something to take place with this physical body that was cursed as a result of what Adam did back there in Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 3. So then when we see John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is talking about an entire rebooting of creation. Both human and everything else. (laughs) Everything completely redone. It wasn't just that Jesus came here for our sake. But because of what He did, it also impacts all of creation. You say, okay, help me get this here. Okay, remember what happened? God gave dominion over the work of His hand to Adam. Adam rebelled, he died, and that sin and destruction and corruption was passed into all creation. Therefore, because it was God's plan for everything to exist in perfection, when Jesus came here, He became the last Adam. We're going to see this in just a moment. Through Him, not only could the spiritual life be restored, but also all of creation could be restored back to the way it was before the first Adam messed up. All of this. Everything we live in. Our spirit, our body, and this entire universe. Now look over in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Just take a look here in, um, well, begin in verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Look in chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Verse 7, Jesus is speaking, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And verse 10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's it. So what we see then is the process by which Jesus Initiated this entire born again, this uh, the entire born again saved process. Just his existence here on earth didn't do it, couldn't do it. He went about revealing to people for roughly three and a half years. It was like he was saying, "Let me tell you what it can be like if you have God's life on the inside of you, even though your flesh is corrupted. Let me show you how you can overcome. Let me show you how you can conquer." Let me show you how you can live every day. And he went about living that way, setting that example for us. Then, because he went to the cross and shed his blood and then was raised from the dead, he then was able to pass that on to everybody who wants it. Because you'll notice, it says here in verse 10 of chapter 10, by the which will What does that mean? By God's will. What was God's will? God's will. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He sent His Son into the world so that humans could be born again and creation could be restored. That was the will of God. By the which will we are sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Meaning, this whole sanctification, call it purification, call it spiritual reborning. <laughs> this, this sanctification, you don't get to heaven without it. In other words, sanctification is not exactly another way to say born again, but it's kind of similar. I mean, we're making reference to the same spiritual process here. If I've been born again, I've been sanctified. And and, you know, I remember years ago hearing preachers talk about the whole thing of sanctification. And the the way it was presented, it was something that you were trying to accomplish through your efforts. You were trying to earn it. And and the question would be put, you know, uh, well, have you been sanctified? Well, I'm working on it. And there were people who would stand up and say things, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. But I don't think they really understood that because if you're sanctified, you're sanctified. Notice it says you're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is not something that you earn by virtue of your good works. Sanctification is a state of existence. It's not a paycheck for good deeds. And so he says, right, here's how you're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. If you're born again and somebody looks at you and says, You know, were you sanctified? And you just oh, well, yeah. And they, well, how'd you get how, how how'd you do it? Well, I got born again. Well, I'm born again too, but oh, I'm still trying to be sanctified. Just one verse. Just point them to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. <laughs> through the body of Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. Now You don't have to turn to this. I'm going to read some verses to you. But Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12 says that He hath poured out His soul unto death and He was numbered with the transgressors and He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's a prophecy about Jesus. He bare the sin of many. Now that's interesting because somebody could read that and say Well, it says there that He bare the sin of many, but it doesn't say that He bare the sin of all. Here's why. Because when He did that, He was here. He was on earth. You understand that? If He were to say, I'm here and I'm bearing the sins of all humans, well, that would have included Him. The problem is, He never sinned. He couldn't bear His sin. He didn't have any sin. So He bore the sin of everybody else. In fact, In in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For he, speaking of God, hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus knew no sin, (laughs) but he bore our sin. And it wasn't just that he bore it, as in, you know, he, he puts on, you know, the code of sin. God made him to be sin. What that means is, Jesus passed from spiritual life to spiritual death. As He was hanging on that cross, He died spiritually. He was made sin for us. He'd never known this. He had never known a fallen spiritual condition. He had never known what it was like to have a sin nature. And now, He is bearing all of our sin... And he is made our sin nature. See, if he had just bore the sins, meaning, well, last night I went out and got drunk, and, well, you know, last week, you know, I I committed adultery, and the other week I I stole something. I mean, sins, okay? If he had just borne our sins, that wouldn't have been enough. Because, it's, we just read over there in Hebrews chapter 9, The blood of animals dealt with actions of sin. But the blood of animals could not deal with the sin nature on the inside. The sin death. So not only did Jesus bear the committed sins, He also was made the sin nature on the inside. So He became the complete sacrifice or the final sacrifice for sin. And when he died, that was it. I mean, that was it. There's nothing more anybody can do to have their sins dealt with. Nothing. That's it. Jesus Christ is the only way. Now, in Romans chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 it says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. He died unto sin once. Another way to say that is, Jesus willingly subjected Himself unto sin. He didn't commit sin, but he subjected himself to that that sin nature that was controlling all of humanity. He subjected himself to that. And he died under the penalty of it, but then he was raised to newness of life. You know, in Romans chapter 6, it talks about he was raised to life by the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Well, ultimately, it's the life of God. In other words, what God did with Jesus to raise him from the dead was very similar to what God did to um, uh, Adam back there in Genesis chapter 2 where it says God breathed into him the breath of life. Well, God breathed into Jesus, if you will, the breath of life to raise Jesus from the dead by the glory of God. And now, see, when we get born again and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. See that? So what God did for Jesus was basically the same thing He did for Adam. The difference was, Adam hadn't sinned when God gave him that life. Jesus was our sin when God raised Him from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. That word quickening is life-giving. In other words, get this. Until Jesus was raised from the dead, he was not a quickening spirit. He could not give anybody spiritual life because he had not borne their sin or be made their sin. But once that had happened, and once God raised him, him from the dead, then Jesus was then able to be a life-giving spirit to everybody who wants to receive that life. It, it, I mean, what we see here again is a replication, if you will, of what happened in, in Genesis, where God told Adam He said, here's the tree. Now, don't eat from that tree. You have a choice. Because in the day that you eat from that tree, then you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. Well then, you come forward a few thousand years, Jesus stands up and He says, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of what I offer, you will live. So we pass from death unto life by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you look over in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, See, God is still giving humanity a choice. You're either, you either choose it and live, or you reject it and you die. A lot of people talk about, uh, I mean, the way they teach certain things makes it sound like that God is just going to force born-again life onto everybody. And that everybody is going to end up, you know, born again and living in eternity with Jesus. That's not true. Because that would be a violation of the standard God established all the way back there in Genesis. It's all by choice. Totally up to you. In Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See that? See that? Here's, here's what is so aggravating. And I mean, it, it can really get you worked up. All these people out there that talk about, well, we're all the children of God. And what's so stupid is Christians who buy into that. Well, we're all the children of God. No, you're not. No, no. I mean, where'd you come up? Where is that in the Bible? See, this is why you better be glad the last few words of Galatians 3.26 are in there. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. By faith in Christ Jesus. If you don't have faith in Christ Jesus, you're not a child of God. If you're not a child of God, you're not born again. If you're not born again, you're not in the kingdom of God. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you can't go to heaven. I I mean, this is the Scriptures. And you've got people out there, man, they just want to believe their own thing. Well, you know what? You can believe whatever you want to believe. Look, I'm reading these things to you from the Bible, okay? Okay? Now, if you don't want to accept the Bible as being the standard for everything, then you'll you'll create your own religion. Well, we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Well, I mean, no, all paths lead to God. Well, you mean faith in Muhammad gets me to be a child of God? that's not what this says. Now, see, if you're not going to accept, now, now hear me. If you're not going to accept what the Bible has to say, then from this day forward, listen up, don't you ever again in your life start talking about going to heaven or hell. Don't do it. Because the concept of going to heaven or hell comes from this book right here, the Bible. And you cannot have a conversation about going to heaven or hell if you're not going to accept what's recorded here in Scripture. And if you're not going to accept what, what's recorded here in Scripture, then you don't know how to go to heaven or how to avoid hell. You don't know. You'll come up with your own hypothesis and lead yourself and maybe even others straight to hell. He says, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now this whole thing of faith in Christ Jesus is not just believing in His existence. But it's also a willingness to accept what is recorded in Scripture. What's in the Word of God. Because in another place in Scripture, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and it tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So therefore, if you're not going to accept what's in the Word, well, then you can't have faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't if you're not going to accept what's in here. You cannot have situational truth. And call it scripture. The word is what the word is, man. That's just the way it is. And you have to you have to be to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to be willing to accept what is recorded in scripture, and God's reason for sending Jesus to Earth, for sending Him into the world. You say, well, what does that mean? What that ha- what that means is this: you have to be willing. To admit, you got to swallow your pride and admit, I'm going to hell without Jesus. I've got a sin nature without Jesus. Now, you can argue, argue this with me till you're blue in the face, all right? I don't care what color face. <laughs> what do you have in Scripture? See, when you say blue in the face, somebody's going to say, oh, you know, you act racist. You're only going to act blue-faced people. What what Bible are you using? Now seriously, what scripture are you using to defend yourself? Well, I read this book by so and so. Yeah, well, I read a book by God. <laughs> I think this one's going to do me better than than so and so. So therefore, you've got to believe in God's reason for sending Jesus here, and that is you're lost. Without Jesus Christ, you are lost, and you're going to hell. You see. Brother Martin, this is Easter, you're supposed to be doing an uplifting sermon I'm trying to give you an uplifting sermon. I'm trying to tell you how to avoid where you were born to go. <laughs> the moment you were born you're on your way to hell. Now I understand the concept of the grace of God relative to you know, young children who don't understand the difference between anything. They call it you know the age of accountability and so forth. The thing is, there comes a point in time, and every single one of you in here have reached that point, you know. (laughs) I mean, you know. And if you are not going to be willing to accept the fact that God says, you were born with a sin nature, and spiritual death is in you, and if you do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then guess what? You die in your sins. You die in that condition. And guys, if you die in that condition, there's no second chance. You know, there, you've got religion out there that says there's this place called purgatory. Where you just kind of hang around for a while waiting for something good to happen. And they tell you, well, you know, your survivors that are still on earth, they can bring money into the church and donate it. And then we'll we'll pray to try to get them out of purgatory and get them to heaven. Well, well uh, uh, did you get grandma out of purgatory yet? Oh, she's close. Oh, it's getting close. About another four thousand dollars, and you think I'm making this up? I am not making this up. I'm not making this up one bit. That's a kind of that. That's a lie, and the people that tell her are going to hell. Because anybody who's truly born again knows the word of God, and they know you cannot praise somebody out of hell or. Or a non-existent place into heaven. And what? How much money does it take to get me to pray for somebody? You know, think about this. Those who are heads of churches and talk like that, good glory to God. You talk about judgment. Because they're training people not to have faith in Jesus Christ. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. See that? Dead in it. Not because of it. In it. He doesn't say you're dead because of your trespasses and sin. You're dead in the midst of that junk. He says, You hath he quickened. You. You were dead. See, you think, well, I'm not dead, man. I got up, took a shower, came to church, logged on to watch. I'm not dead. No, spiritually speaking. See, if God had not breathed the breath of life into Adam, he still would have been a flesh body with a soul. You understand that? He still would have walked the earth. But God breathed life into him. So here we are. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, Yeah, you can walk around, jump, shout, and everything else because you have that soul. But you don't have spiritual life. And so he says again, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you see in the, I don't know about what version of the Bible you have, but in the King James Version, that phrase, hath he quickened, see that? It's in italics. That was added. Now let's read it without that. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, all eternity, he might show, He will, He will, he, he is going to make a demonstrated effort to show to us the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See that? By grace are you saved through faith, not a work. You can't do it on your own. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how much money you give to have somebody pray. It doesn't matter. You you could donate a million dollars to ten million dollars to this ministry. And us build a great big old building and whatever else. That doesn't get you saved. No, see, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's your only hope. Look over in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10. Take a look here. Pick it up in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed for there is no difference between the jew and the greek or the jew and the gentile for the same lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved he's not simply saying yeah, you know when i was raised in church we just we did everything we could to get somebody to repeat the sinner's prayer and then we were like "Yeehaw, got somebody saved well you you got to believe it from your heart You can say all kinds of stuff, but if you don't believe it from your heart, it doesn't count. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay, what this is not saying is that you've got to believe why God raised him from the dead. It's not just that God raised him from the dead. The question is, well, why did God raise him from the dead? If you're talking to people today, Easter, and you're out, whatever, and and somehow the subject of Easter and Jesus and cross and resurrection and so forth, and that, you know, God raised him from the dead, ask them. Just ask. Well, why did God raise Jesus from the dead? And see what they say. Because if you don't understand that, (laughs) you don't understand your need for Jesus. God raised him from the dead so that he could be a life-giving spirit. If God had left him in the grave, (laughs) sure, the blood would have dealt with your actions of sin, but there would have been no spiritual life to pass on. God raised him from the dead so that he could turn around and pass that spiritual life on to you and me. So that he could be that life-giving or that quickening spirit. And not only that, there's more to it. We won't turn to this, but in Matthew 3, Mark 1, and in Luke chapter 3, it tells us very clearly that on top of this, (laughs) called the icing on the cake, Jesus will baptize us in the Holy Ghost and with fire. In other words, it's not just a matter of my acts of sin being dealt with. It's not just a matter of my spiritual death. Being replaced with spiritual life, it's also a matter of God saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this another step further. I'm gonna have my son Jesus baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with my holy fire. (laughs) And that's gonna give us, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, you can be born again without the Holy Spirit. God says, no, 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 I'm gonna give you more than just born again. And so, here we now have the opportunity to be be baptized in the Holy Spirit. and Okay, scenario. The Holy Spirit says, Okay, God, I understand you're going to make this possible that Jesus is going to baptize people that accept Him as Savior. Baptize them in me. What do you want me to do when I get there? When I'm in them? What's the first thing you'd like me to do? And God says, "Well, first thing I'd like you to do is give them the ability to pray in our language. And the Holy Spirit says, well, now, okay, I can do that. That's not not a problem at all. But you do realize they won't understand what they're saying. God says, yeah, that's right. (laughs) The Holy Spirit says, oh, I get it. You want them to be able to pray about things that they don't think need to be changed. Oh, yeah. Awesome, God. Boom, fist bump. (laughs) Okay, maybe I exaggerated a little bit. (laughs) See, it's not just about being born again. It's also about this being made available to us. Now, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, all of this leads us up to this whole thing of communion. When I was in church growing up, we call it the Lord's Supper. Other people call it other terms. Basically, it's the same thing. You know, whether it's crackers and juice, or bread and juice, or wafers. Some places they use real wine. Uh, you know, you have your own opinions about all that. But here, you know, we just do bread and uh, and juice. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, the Apostle Paul is explaining some things. He says, "For I have received of the Lord that." which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So then, the concept is this. When we take communion, and you know, some people say that when you eat it and then drink, that it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. But that's impossible. You say, well, what do you mean now? You know, I happen to, well you may know a bunch of stuff and a bunch of people, but that's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because in scripture, God has forbidden the consuming of blood and the eating of flesh, human flesh. That's in the Word of God. So therefore, it does not literally become the blood of Jesus and literally become His body. It doesn't do that. However, he says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus, I remember what I was like before I put my faith in you. And I remember, even though I wasn't there that day, the day you were crucified or the day you rose from the dead, I wasn't there. However, I have a record of the events here in the Bible. And I read this. And I remember, Jesus, that you not only bore my sins, but you were made the sin nature on my behalf. I remember this, Jesus. And symbolically, when I when I take this bread and this juice and I eat it and I drink it, it represents, again, symbolically, me being born again. Me receiving now. Think about this. The blood symbolically, in Scripture, it talks about the life is in the blood. The blood, or the juice, symbolically represents my spirit being reborn. The bread represents the part of me that is a part of creation, my body being fully restored. Back to Genesis 1 standards. And in the meantime, by your stripes, I was healed. See this? The bread and the juice represents both John 3.16 and John 3.17. The total born again and the total salvation experience. Every part of us. However, there's a part of this that the Lord brought to my attention that is all too often ignored. You see we read 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 26. We shouldn't stop there. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. See that? Keep in mind this was written to Christians. Now, that word unworthily, it comes from the Greek word anoxios. and it means irreverently, without honor or respect or acknowledgement. See that? You say, well, okay, um, what exactly. Is going on here in this 27th verse. Let me read to you an expanded version of what verse 27 is revealing. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29. For if we sin willfully, in fact, turn over there. I want you to see this. I don't want to just read this to you. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse... Now, this is written to Christians. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully... Now, that phrase, sin willfully, that's not just, well, I did something bad yesterday. No, this is talking about if you do that which God has called sin, and it is a part of your lifestyle, if not daily, on a semi-regular basis. Well, I don't commit adultery every day. I don't even commit adultery every week. I mean, maybe once a month. Okay, that's it falls into this category here. Sin willfully, alright? For if we, Christians, believers, those who are born again, if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, now stop right there, the word received comes from the Greek word "lambano," and what it means is to take, in essence, to take possession of, to make it yours, if we have, uh, that we have received the knowledge of the truth. This word knowledge, it comes from the Greek word epinosis. Now the word gnosis means knowledge. In other words, go to school, get knowledge. But the word epinosis, it, it gives the image of me hearing something but then grabbing a hold of it and bringing it into my life and making it my life. So he says, If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of what? The truth. What is the truth? You must be born again. The gospel message. If we choose to incorporate sin into our lifestyle after we have received what the truth tells us we need to receive, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. What do you mean by that? Well, what that means is, <laughs> hey, you're ignoring the sacrifice of Jesus, pretending it doesn't exist. Which is exactly what he was talking about over there in 1 Corinthians 11:27. And then he says, verse 27 here, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? What it means is this, if you're doing, verse 26... Verse 27 is your destiny. Fiery indignation. You see that? That is your destiny. That's where you're headed. So you can say, Oh, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I, You know, the blood and and the body. And and I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm born again. Yeah, but what about the way you're living? Well, yeah, but but I'm born again. I'm born again. You think so? You better not die anytime soon. Because look at this. Then he gives an example, a type and shadow that existed in the Old Testament. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Now look at this, under two or three witnesses. You say, well, okay, who would be the the, the witnesses today? (laughs) That's pretty simple. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Two or three witnesses right there. I don't see your heart, they do. And he says, died without mercy under two or three witnesses, and he said, that that was Moses' law. How much sorer or worse punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him, that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto Me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. Not not the world. His people. See that? Do you realize what this is saying? What this is saying is this. If you've got sin in your life, you were born again, whenever that happened. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues. But if you begin to sin willfully. If you begin to incorporate that into your life. You are doing First Corinthians 11, 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, it's like you're going back to that state of spiritual death. You can say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't believe that. Really? And your Scripture is where? Guys, I'm reading to you the Word of God. And God is saying, look, <laughs> it, you may have been sanctified at one time, but if you sin willfully, willfully, not in a moment of emotional distress, you, you do something. Now, this is talking about you, you keep making choices. How much sorer punishment is there going to be for you than there was for the people that violated, by will, the law of Moses? Those people died. He says, what? You think you're going to escape this? No, the Lord will judge His people. This is the part of communion that is not addressed the way it should be. Because when we have communion, basically what happens is, you know... Everybody can take communion. Well, you can. And pretty much, you know, everybody does. They don't want to be left out. Let me tell you about me. When I was a kid growing up, we had the Lord's Supper. One of the things that, that we knew, I mean, it was expressed to us, if you're not born again, you really don't need to be doing this. Well, they didn't take it to the next step and get the sin out of your life if you're a Christian. But when we had the Lord's Supper... And I knew that I had not professed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when that they would pass it through the aisle, you know the juice and, and the bread. I wouldn't take it, I just pass it on. In my lost condition, I had enough respect <laughs> for Lord for the Lord's Supper. I wouldn't do it because that would make me a massive hypocrite. But if you're born again and you're sinning willfully, you've got it in your life and you still take communion. Do you understand you're doing it with no respect for Jesus Christ and what He's done for you? See, over there in 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we believers, Christians, confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're not going to confess or you're not ready to give up. You're not going to go to God and say, Oh, God, forgive me. It's not going to come from your heart. If you're not ready for a change. I'm talking to Christians now. See, we're getting ready to have communion. And if you're not born again, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, guys, right now, man, this is it. Today, this is the day of salvation for you. But if you're born again, and you're sinning willfully, and you take this, it's almost worse than a lost person taking it. Because what you're saying is, I don't care what it represents. I'm going to do what I want to do. And ain't nobody going to tell me differently. Say what you want, Pastor. Well, it's not me. that's that's. I'm just repeating what God's established in His Word. See, this was something I never heard concerning communion. But this is God's message to the body of Christ. He's saying you need to have respect for this. You need to understand you cannot be living in sin and expect that the blood and and that the juice and the bread are representing your present state of spiritual existence. You can't do that. So, if you've got something going on in your life, you you need to deal with it now. And what I mean by deal with it, not just out of guilt say, oh God, I'm sorry. What I mean is God... I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's sin. And I, I am insulting my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by, by doing this stuff. And I don't want it in my life anymore. I want you to convict me. I mean convict me to the max if I even think about doing it again. Because I want to be right with you, Jesus. I mean, if that's you, man, that's what you need to be doing right now. You, you need to make this right. You need to turn away from this sin. And if you're not born again, glory to God, this is is it for you. This is an opportunity for you to have this life that Jesus Christ is offering you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are what the Bible says. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. But Jesus Christ is making eternal life available to you right now, if that's what you want. So, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to lead in a prayer. The first thing we're going to do is pray to be born again. But then the next thing I'm going to do is continue in that prayer for those who are born again and have been sinning willfully. It's going to be a prayer. Not simply a prayer of resurrection from spiritual death, but a prayer for restoration in your spiritual life. God takes this seriously. And Before we do this prayer. I just want to remind you. That over the years. And I've fallen into the same trap. The body of Christ. Has been led away. From the serious nature. Of the word of God. And we've almost gotten to the point. Of accepting it as literature. But not living Life. And we've got to make sure that we're right before Him because the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, and He's coming back, He is coming back for a church without spot or blemish. So right now, if you've never accepted Jesus, those of you here in this room and those watching, if you've never accepted Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this is a prayer to be born again and receive this life that He offers. So wherever you are watching this, those of you here, everybody, let's just bow our heads. And if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, be born again, just repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I am dead in sins and trespasses. I am not born again. I am lost. But I want to be born again. So right now, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask you to wash away the old sin nature with the power of your blood. And give unto me the born-again life that You have promised. I want You to quicken that life in me. And I also ask You, Jesus, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I receive You, Holy Spirit. And I ask You to give unto me every one of Your spiritual gifts that You know I need. This includes the ability to pray in the Spirit. And I receive these gifts from you now. And I ask you to help me to live for God from this day forward. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now for those of you who are Christians, I'm going to lead in a prayer to make it right. So once again, just go ahead and bow your heads. and Just pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus. I did accept you as my Savior. I was sanctified by your body and blood. But there is sin in my life. And right now, those of you that are praying this, because you know you need to, if you want to just whisper that sin that you are willfully committing, and I don't care how many it is, right now, whisper it unto Him. Nobody else needs to hear you. This is between you and the Lord. You confess it to Him. Because He says, if you confess it, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now let's continue in this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess this sin to You. And I ask You right now to forgive me of these sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I ask You to move in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit to convict me with as much conviction as is necessary if I even think about choosing to do these things again. I want my life to be right before You. And I am not going to take this communion unworthily and be guilty Of your body and your blood. I thank you for my restoration Jesus. In your name. Amen. See I have to admit to you. That. In my past. I have been guilty. Of not respecting. The body and the blood of Jesus. The way that I should have. And I don't ever want to be guilty again. Of. Taking it unworthily. And I encourage you, you know, from this day forward, take these things seriously. And when there are things that you need to repent of and change in your life, do it. Well, Jesus, I want to thank You for this. And I thank You for Your body, what it represents. Not just the fact that You bore our sins, but that also by Your stripes that we could be healed And it also represents the day is coming when our bodies are going to be fully restored or saved back into that Genesis 1 condition and state of existence that God determined. So Jesus, we take this in recognition and remembrance of what you did for us with your body. Jesus, I want to thank you for this this juice which represents your blood. This represents, Jesus, the fact that you became our spiritual death so that we could receive your spiritual life. Father, this does not give us born-again life. It just represents that born-again experience when we accepted Jesus as Savior. So thank you, Jesus. and We drink this now in remembrance and in recognition of what you did for us. Praise your name, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Glory and honor to you, Jesus.